We the ones. We the ones they talking about. Broadway Sports Media. Justin and Justin Titans podcast show. Some of it was bad, but hopefully you'll you probably piece something together. Outstanding. There's an earthquake in the middle of the podcast. Unbelievable. We're begging for listeners. That's all we do. We all we got. Hey, Titans on three. One, two, three. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Music City Audible podcast presented by the Pharmacy Burger Parlor and Beer Garden in partnership with Broadway Sports Media and 440 Sports. I'm Justin Graver, and with me, as always, is Justin Mello, and we got some Titan stuff to talk about today. Justin, what's up? You know, we, we came into this episode, Graver. I'm not going to lie to our audience. We weren't exactly sure what we were going to discuss initially, but I think we've come up with three, maybe four really intriguing topics and i'm super excited to get to it i am too we're gonna start today with some news that happened literally right after we finished uh last week's episode which we always love when the titans do that to us then we're gonna start uh an off-season series that we did last year we're gonna do it again this year which is like should the titans re-sign this free agent to be so a guy who will be a free agent uh when the league year resets in march we're gonna take a look at whether or not the titans should re-sign them and if we think they will what their uh, market value might be and what kind of contract they might get from the titans or someone else we're gonna look at justin your first seven round mock draft has been posted for the draft network using the mock draft machine over at the draft network the revamped mock draft machine is that right that is correct can't wait for everyone to see it Yeah, so we'll get into that. And then finally, we're going to close this episode with what I think is going to be a fascinating discussion. What is Ryan Tannehill's trade value? If the Titans were going to move Tannehill and move on this offseason, what could they get for him? Should they and might they actually consider it? That's how we're going to wrap up this episode. But first, some news. The Titans did hire a running backs coach and a run game coordinator Right. Just as we said they were going to, we didn't necessarily expect the run game coordinator title to be included. But Justin Outen, most recently the offensive coordinator of the Denver Broncos under Nathaniel Hackett. He worked with Nathaniel Hackett uh, in Green Bay the previous three seasons, 2019 to 2021, under obviously head coach Matt LaFleur as their tight ends coach. So he went from tight ends coaching Green Bay for three years in Matt LaFleur's system, which we know has been very similar to what the Titans have run to Broncos offensive coordinator under Nathaniel Hackett, which again is a very similar system to what the Titans have run. And now he will be the Titans running backs coach and run game coordinator. So my first question, Justin, all the thought that maybe they're moving on from the zone scheme, has have you reconsidered that? Or do you still think that, you know, like will this still no longer be a zone-based scheme or a guy who coming from the Matt LaFleur system makes me think that they're going to get right back into what they've done best over the last few years? Yeah, I'm inclined to agree with you at this point. They, they've brought in a, you know quite a few guys that still know that system well. Obviously, with um, you know Justin Otten, who you just mentioned, also Charles London, of course. Um, obviously, you know Tim Kelly knows is an in between, right? Tim Kelly knows the system, but it's not what he preferably ran when he was in charge of running an offensive right. system in Houston. But again, having spent 2021 or sorry, 2022, um, on the Titans staff, he knows the system now, right? And he, he knows it well. So I, I do think they're going to continue running it uh, uh, to a degree. Again, I think it'll probably decline in usage a little bit, which we saw a bit of last year, I, I think, under I think, is it James Foster, our buddy, No Flags Film? Uh, he tends to uh, uh, track all of the Titans' run plays, whether it's you know uh, uh, inside zone, outside zone, power gap, all of that. And I'm pretty sure he had put out this chart um, that indicated they ran it a little bit less 
than they had uh, in years past. So I think you'll see that trend continue and it'll lower. Uh, the percentage will lower quite again in 2023, but I still think it's going to be their primary um, offensive scheme, so to speak. And I want to comment on Otten quickly. Um, uh, home run hire for Mike Vrabel, I think. Another ho- a home run hire, right? It's funny. I think we talked about some candidates um, that they could look at hiring for our, our RB coach, and I wrote an article on it as well. And in both those instances, I was like, you know, Justin Otten would be an obvious one to list because we knew that they had interviewed him. Um, and he was the lone guy still available on the market that they hadn't hired. And I, I decided not to name him because he had never coached <laughs> running backs before. And I spent a lot of time galaxy braining this, looking at potential running back coaches that had connections to Mike Vrabel. Spoiler alert, there weren't a ton of them. So I really had to go deep down this rabbit hole because, by the way, his running back coach when he was in Houston was Charles London, right, who we hired as QB <laughs> coach. So I had to go down this rabbit hole, spent way more time on it than I should have when all I had to do was go with my initial thought was within the first five seconds when I came up with the article, which was Justin Otten. Um, but I didn't do that because, he, again, he had never coached running backs. Um, he had coached tight ends and offensive line, also worked previously as an offensive assistant, you know, quality control type stuff, obviously offensive coordinator interim there in Denver and play caller. So he's very well versed in offense. So I'm not shocked that they hired him, uh, even though he's never coached running backs at the NFL level. I do think it's a really good hire, a guy that had interest um, – Elsewhere, to be an offensive coordinator, did have some success down the stretch with the Broncos um, calling plays for them after they fired uh, Nathaniel Hackett, as you mentioned. More success than people realize, right? Denver offense was so bad under Hackett, and it got quite a bit better um, when they let go of him and put Auten in that role. So really good hire for Mike Vrabel and the Titans. And now uh, the Titans this year, we've talked about it a little, but you mentioned they added a run game coordinator to his title they will employ a passing game coordinator, a passing game analyst, a run game coordinator, and a run game analyst. I, I, I'm not sure I've seen that before, having four. And even like the run game analyst, run game coordinator, you would assume it's fairly similar, but Mike Vrabel decided he needed one of each um, on that. They also have a passing game, a defensive passing game coordinator, by the way, right, in Chris Harris. So three, or three of those five, um, I mentioned, coaches in those roles are not doubling into anything else, right? I, what I mean by saying that is like, yeah, Justin Allen is your RB coach and a run game coordinator. But right. for example, Luke Steckle is just a run game analyst and Pat O'Hara is just a passing game analyst, right? So two of the, sorry, two of the five are not doubling down on other roles, which I find uh, pretty interesting. Yeah, and I think, you know, what you said there is, Multiple things like they got a guy who was another offensive coordinator candidate. So Mike Vrabel has filled his staff. Not only has he filled it out with all these new roles, but he's filled it with guys that were, you know, interviewing for offensive coordinator jobs around the league. So this will be interesting to see like how much the offense shifts. And you wonder about like a too many cooks in the kitchen type of situation. Like, could this lead to like disagreements? And then it actually backfires and you know the offense is less smooth and it's just like this discombobulated mess of like you're pulling from all these different areas and you end up with something that sucks who knows that could be the case but I I tend to think that this will work out for the best you know get a bunch of smart guys in the room get Ryan Tannehill in there assuming he's your quarterback also and get him you know to give his opinion on what what he's comfortable with and what plays he likes to run and pull from his days in Miami and pull from his what he was successful with in Tennessee and bring it all together and create an offense. So I think this is great for Mike Vrabel as an evolution as a coach to show that like, hey, we needed more help in these areas. Like we are looking to improve 
not just with a new play caller, but with new positions on the staff and new roles for people to have. And I said it last week, but I still think this whole analyst thing is going to be about breaking down opponents and trying to attack weaknesses, which is something the Titans have never really been that good at. So I think this will be good all around. Yeah, I did want to add, I think the most important thing to the chances of this having success is clearly defining roles, right? And I don't worry that Mike Vrabel isn't going to clearly define what the role is for a Pat O'Hara, for a Luke Steckel, for a, a Justin Naughton, a Charles London, and all that stuff. So that's the most important thing. And there are more than enough duties to go around, right? That's what people don't realize. Just because one guy's a run game coordinator and another guy's a run game analyst doesn't mean they're going to be doing the same things. You could look at installing red zone packages, even... On the defense, just because someone's a run game coordinator doesn't mean they can't look at an opposing uh, team's running game, that opponent for that week, and identify some tendencies that they might try to attack you with and some tendencies that you may be able to attack them with. So there are so many different things that can be done um, for these coaches and for these roles. I don't worry there's going to be a ton of overlap and too many cooks in the kitchen. No, I think Mike Rabel will clearly define their, their roles, and there are so many things they could be doing. I fully agree with that. All right. So with that, we shall move on to our offseason discussion. Should the Titans re-sign X? Who is X today? Well, today's X is going to be David Long and Austin Hooper. Two key guys, one on offense, one on defense. Are they key guys? Eh, I guess that's what this discussion is about. Let's start with David Long because I do think David Long is a key guy. David Long's contract is expired now. He was a sixth-round pick in the 2019 draft, one of John Robinson's best drafts probably. And if you look at what um, kind of contract he might get on the open market should the Titans elect not to re-sign him, Track has his value estimated two years, $9.8 million, a $4.9 million average annual salary, so just under $5 million a year for David Long. Seems a little low to me, but, you know, you look at past contracts and Spotrack pulls these up for you. Miles Jack signed a two-year contract, average annual salary of $8 million. Josie Jewell signed a two-year contract at $5.5 million a year. Anthony Walker Jr. signed a one-year contract at $4.25 million a year. So maybe this range is actually more accurate. Where do you think the Titans come down on their desire to re-sign David Long? What kind of value should we look at here? Yeah, before I answer the first part of your question, I just want to say, because I find this hilarious, I don't know that there's another player that's set to, re- set to reach free agency this year that there will be a bigger gap in projected contract between Spotrack and Pro Football Focus when it comes to David Long. Spotrack has David Long at, what did you say, $4.5 million a year, I think you Four, said? 4.9, 4. 4.9. Pro Football Focus, I don't have it in front of me, the exact number, but I wrote about it a few weeks ago. They've got like thirteen and a half million per year. Oh, like it's sheesh. like a, there's like literally a ten million per year gap between what those two websites are projecting. Again, I I don't know that there will be another player this year. And and the and the ironic part of this is I don't agree with any of them. I land somewhere in the <laughs> middle, and I think you're going yeah. to as well. I, I don't. I, I think David Long is worth more than four and a half million a year. I think that's pretty low. I don't think this is a case of where we're overvaluing our own player or homegrown talent. I think of when, you know, Jalen Brown had that season ending injury and hit and, you know, was kind of declining and then hit free agency, didn't find what he wanted and came back to Tennessee on a one year, $5 million deal, right? Like that was, let's be honest, that was a loss for Jalen Brown, right? That's not what he wanted. That's why he tested the market. Oh, yeah. 
came back on a one-year prove-it deal. Unfortunately, it didn't even end up working out for him, right? He had another year filled with injury. He ended up signing a one-year deal with Vegas the following year for like two and a half, three million, I think it was. So I don't think David Long's going to have that type of market. Like, I don't think he's going to hit the market and find nothing and then come back and to Tennessee and get four and a half million a year, which is even less than what Jayon got that one year. Um, but I also don't think right. he's getting 13 and a half million like pro football focus is projecting. Like maybe if David Long was healthy for all 17 games and played as well as we know he's capable of playing for all 17 games, you might be able to talk me into him getting 11, 12 million a year. But that didn't happen, right? He continues to struggle with injury. He's been hurt almost every year. The Titans have started to rely on him. And it's been soft tissue stuff, which I'm sure you and I are going to talk about because we're thinking of the same Mike Vrabel comment, I bet, that we're going to add to this discussion. But I, I, I do think he probably gets like $8 million a year. Like, I think that's fair. Yeah, I think eight, seven to nine, that range is, yeah. I mean, makes sense. This guy was a starting level linebacker who made a difference. He's super quick downhill. He is decent. He's not great, but he's decent enough in coverage to be, a, you know, not a negative in that regard. And he's you actually made huge strides. Right. Right. And early in his career, you did. And he has worked his way to the point where you don't have to do that anymore. But that comment that you just mentioned about, you know, some of these guys with these recurring injury issues, Christian Fulton and David Long, it's no secret. These guys have been soft tissue injuries. And that has been the big, you know, issue with David Long in Tennessee is keeping him on the field with these soft tissue injuries. So I don't know. I think that the Titans could use him in terms of looking at their starters on defense, not creating another hole on this roster, not having to like spend a day three pick on a linebacker and hope that you don't strike out because he's a day three pick. And you know, the odds of actually hitting are not that high. And John Robinson's not here to draft the linebackers anymore. <laughs> um, so I think the Titans should try to re-sign David Long. I think if they can get him for under $7 million a year, that's a win. And, you know, you just have to structure the cap in such a way that it doesn't impact your 2023 salary cap too poorly because you are trying to create a lot of money right now to fill all these other holes that you're going to have to create to fill to create the money. So it's an interesting discussion here with David Long because on the one hand, like inside linebacker, middle linebacker, it's a pretty devalued position in today's NFL. It's not edge. It's not cornerback. You know, it's not one of these high value positions on defense. But at the same time, you look at where Rand Carthon came from the last few years in San Francisco, where they have one of the best linebackers in the league in Fred Warner. And what a difference an elite level linebacker can make for your defense. Now, David Long is not a Fred Warner level linebacker, but knowing that you can get a guy who knows your defensive system, who is a hard worker and a good culture guy, except for these soft tissue injuries that he can't seem to get past. I think he's a plus player that you'd want to bring back. Now, if he wants to go get paid more money, I don't think you pay him more than $7 million a year is, is where I'm at. Fred Warner is the best linebacker in the league, by the way, in my opinion. I've had that opinion for many, many years, and I, I still hold that opinion today. Um, you also have to look at one layer to this that we didn't bring up yet that I, I think we should, is um, what does your roster look like without him? Right. Um, right. You're going to release Zach Cunningham this summer, right? Like I'm, I'm fairly certain that that's going to happen. It's going to clear up a decent amount of cap space. I think close to like it was like eight or nine million dollars by, by releasing Zach Cunningham. So it's a no brainer, right? You're like 23 million over the cap right now. You need that money. Zach Cunningham was unfortunately a non-factor in 2022. He struggled with injury. He doesn't play in coverage like you're not bringing Zach Cunningham back, especially at his, his cap number. What do you have left, right? You, you've got Monty Rice, who um, I think has played some decent football in spurts. I like Monty Rice as the replacement 
um, for Zach Cunningham, in all honesty. Like, I think that is a like-for-like like replacement, and you're not, you don't have to go into the market, and that's a win for you, right? Like, you don't got to go into the market and replace Zach Cunningham with a, another draft pick or a free agent signing. I like Monty Rice in that role. I also think Jack Gibbons, um, you know, played well, but I think they're somewhat similar players, Monty Rice and Jack Gibbons are. So I don't think you want to go into next year with them as your starting linebackers, but I do think you have both of them on the roster and you like, you know, probably I think Rice starting and, and Gibbons maybe being your rotational number three um, inside linebacker. Um, what do you know about AKA? How much do you like Chance Campbell, right? Who you drafted last year, I think in the seventh round out of Ole Miss, not a whole lot, right? He, he, he didn't really play football this year. He was sort of an <laughs> athletic guy coming out of Ole Miss and, and you could see him being that, coverage down backer um if you will and i think they probably drafted him in case you know in case and this was of course john robinson in case we're not able to re-sign david long let's get another similar type in the similar what they did when they drafted david long and had Jayon brown so i think that was probably the line of thinking you're always looking down the road and and, and trying to fill a hole before it actually becomes a hole but that also it also involves you getting a little bit lucky, right? And you didn't get the chance to really evaluate Chance Campbell this year. So I don't. And now you got a new GM coming in that didn't draft Chance Campbell. So I don't think you're moving forward in in 2023 and saying we can move forward with Monty Rice, Jack Gibbons, and, and Chance Campbell, right? So I think right. it's important to realize that and, and understand where your roster is. It, it, it's a big hole at linebacker, a really big hole if you let David Long walk. I'm of the opinion that they should resign him. You talked about a, a multi-year deal at seven million a year, eight million. I, I would go a little higher than that if necessary. If you have to go at eight million a year, but there's a way to structure that, um, even if it's a two or three-year contract, where it's it's not going to count much, right, towards the 2023 cap. And I think the example uh, I'll, I'll bring up is is Ben Jones, right? When they re-signed Ben Jones last summer to a two-year, fourteen million dollar deal, again, it didn't have to be four or five years or, or anything like that. But look in the manner yeah. it was structured, right? Ben Jones, they had a base salary of $1.1 million, right? And, and counted for 3.4 towards the cap, right? You talk about structuring deal in a way where it's not going to count too much towards the, the 2023 cap. There's a Ben Jones multi-year deal that's in the same neighborhood per year of what we think David Long is going to be in and around. And they structured yeah. it in a way where it only counted for $3.5 million essentially towards the cap. So there's your win right there. You get David Long back and he's counting for $3.5 million, $4 million towards the cap. It's a huge W. So I definitely think they should try to bring him back. But that comment about the soft tissue, recurring injuries, maybe you and I have put too much stock into it, but it does give me pause, right? It does make me wonder if they want to re-sign David Long, right? I imagine Ran um, is going to lean on Mike Rabel a lot when it comes to the David Long discussion. And it does give me concern that Mike Rabel, again, to me, it was unprecedented at the time, volunteered yeah. David Long's name, right? When he wasn't asked about David Long, he was just asked about injuries in general, and he volunteered his name as a repeat offender for soft tissue is injuries. It does give me a lot of pause. Long story short, I think they, they should re-sign David Long, but I'm not convinced they will. That's how I feel too. And we, there's been a lot of speculation as to who these like eight to four guys that Vrabel mentioned in that press conference are, or the nine to five guys, if that's more colloquial i think who works eight to four like maybe football players do but that's not really like i rabel should have said nine to five what <laughs> I, I i think we could end the david long discussion with this like i don't know enough about david long personally right i've had a few discussions with him you and i have had him on this show um i have a hard time lining up the eight to four the soft tissue stuff 
with the play style. Because I feel like David Long, and you're going to agree, because I know you will, and I think everyone should. Like, when I watch David Long play football, I've never gotten the feel that he's disinterested or doesn't play with a ton of passion and energy. He's tenacious. You talked about him coming downhill. Like, and we had him on this show, and we broke down film with him a few years ago. I think that's still on YouTube. Like, David Long loves football, right? So I have a really hard time lining that up. But the soft tissue thing, it has been an issue. There's no denying that, right? The, the proof's in the pudding. So, But I do have a hard time lining that up with that image of David Long. Because I view him when I watch him play and break down film as a super uh, passionate, energetic, tenacious football player. Yeah, I fully agree. Like he, when we spoke with him on the show, like he talked about using film study to identify what the Ravens plays were going to be in that 2019 yeah. playoff game before the snap. Like this guy... I, in my opinion, from what I've seen, puts in that work, you know, in the off time. It's more about the injuries, I think, than than anything else. Anyway, we both think the Titans should re-sign David Long. Not exactly sure if they will. Let's move on to our other guy for this episode, Austin Hooper. Austin Hooper was brought in last season on a one-year, $6 million contract with a, a bit of hype behind it, it, at least in the sense that the Titans had such limited options in the passing game at tight end the year before that, after letting Jonu Smith walk in free agency, that everyone was excited. It's like, oh yeah, the receiving core, like we traded AJ Brown. We don't have Julio Jones anymore, but we got Robert Woods and we added Austin Hooper. He's part of the receiving core now. Like be excited. Like there's actually more weapons for Tannehill to deal with, even though we don't have the number one guy in AJ Brown anymore. Well, how stupid were all of we? (laughs) AJ Brown, man, come on. I'm still not over this. Okay, um... Austin Hooper had one of his least productive seasons ever last year. Um, One of the reasons for that is that he played one of the fewest number of snaps he's played in a long time. He did have finished the year with 41 catches for 444 yards, which actually would be higher than either of his two seasons in Cleveland in terms of receiving, receiving yardage. He only played 491 snaps in Cleveland. He played 717 snaps in 2021, 684 snaps in 2020. So, like two to 300 less snaps this year in Tennessee. He was playing even more snaps than that when he was back in Atlanta, putting up, you know, seven, six, 700 receiving yards a year. So his snap count decreased greatly here in Tennessee. His production, only 444 receiving yards and two receiving touchdowns. There was a few moments throughout this year when he had nice catches on third down and kept drives alive. But like, I feel like those moments were a little few and far between. I don't know if Austin Hooper would even want to come back knowing the role that the Titans had him in here playing, you know, less than half. He played 49% of the snaps last year, less 47.4% of snaps last year. So less than half the offensive snaps. Does he want to come back to that situation? You got Chiga Quanco, a developing guy who's going to be the Titans tight end one next season. Jeff Swaim could be back. I don't know. We'll get to him, I guess, in this series at some point. But, you know, Mike Vrabel loves Jeff Swaim. So there's a decent chance that he's back. Will Austin Hooper want to sign with the Titans? Will the Titans want to re-sign Austin Hooper after what he did last year? We're going to disagree, or you're going to disagree again with SpotTrack's estimated market value, which has Austin Hooper at a $6.7 million average annual salary, projected two years, $13.4 million contract, after he just signed a one-year, $6 million contract that he barely managed to live up to. Does his value go up after this past season? Yeah, that's what that's what I said to you off air, right? Like I have a hard time thinking his value went up, right? His market last year was one year, six million. That's what he signed for. 
I don't think he did enough to say, okay, now I'm going to get seven million a year, six and a half, six point seven. I I imagine it's got to go slightly backwards. At least that's my opinion, right? But I, I can see him getting five million a year potentially, right? Something, and I don't think he's going to get three or under, right? But I do think he's a five million dollar a year player, five and a half maybe. I think would be my ceiling. Um, but no, I, I don't think he's going to be back in all honesty for a few reasons. Number one, you talked about forty nine percent of offensive snaps. That's not great when, let's be honest, the competition was, you know, uh, Jeff Swaim and a, a day three rookie, as high as we are now on Chigo. Right. Um, we didn't really know what he was at the time. And by the way, he is ready, I think, to step into a bigger role in 2023. And I think Tim Kelly's really going to like him. That's something we haven't explored on here. Tim Kelly had a lot of success with tight ends in Houston. If you look up the numbers in, in receiving production, uh, all those guys kind of uh, – uh, surpassed their ceiling in my opinion in Houston so I'm really liking Chigo in a Tim Kelly offense he's going to play a bigger role that goes without saying um so no I I don't think there's there's room for Austin Hooper here I think when they brought him in there was some excitement and I get that but let's be honest looking back on it they just didn't have any weapons right like John Robinson it very much felt like uh, something out of desperation right like that was a third second or third wave signing because he was a cap casualty in Cleveland right they released him to clear cap space um, the year before, obviously, Robinson did not do a good job preparing for John Smith's exit. They essentially promoted Anthony Furtzer to tight end one. He was not, you know, capable of stepping into that role. So then they come back and, you know, but then you trade A.J. Brown. You've got, you know, a lack of weapons. You add Austin Hooper on this one-year $6 million deal. Um, it, to me, it didn't work out. I, I do think if you look at the game log for him, which I have in the past, there was a, a sense of, maybe acclimating to a new environment because those first like five or six games were just brutal where he had like yeah. one catch for six yards. Like it did get better as the year went on. And that's no surprise because you're getting a guy that's more comfortable in a system that's more comfortable with his quarterback and his coaching staff. Once you get to week eight, nine, 10 uh, and, and, and so on. But I'll tell you this, you certainly cannot with the cap situation. Like there's no way in hell you could afford to bring this guy back on a similar deal, like one year, 6 million, because again, the, the caveat with that is he's counting for all 6 million towards the 2023 cap right. as he did in 2022. And there's no way they have space, right? To sign uh, Austin, a tight end that's going to give you 400, 450 receiving yards and have him count towards 6 million. So look, if you think you can get him at 4 million a year and it's a, a two year deal, you have an out after year one, because he only counts towards two million of the 2023 cap, he count he's scheduled to count for six million in 2024. You know you're going to release him before it gets to that point. You might be able to talk me into it, but I, I'm of the opinion that um, he should not be back in Tennessee again. John Robinson's not here anymore. Um, it didn't really work out. I think Hooper would probably agree with that if you talk to him. You know, off the record, it probably wasn't what he wanted it to be, especially with 49 percent of the offensive snap. So I'm not, I, I don't think he would want to be back. And, and I'm of the opinion they, unless you get a hell of a deal on him, I don't think they should bring him back. Yeah, I fully agree. I just don't think that he's worth a contract extension or renegotiation, whatever you call it. Like he's not worth another contract in Tennessee. He just simply isn't. And it's a bummer. It didn't work out because he could have been, you know, a big weapon in the passing game, but it just wasn't in the cards. And I think the Titans would be better served Putting Chigaquanko as your number one tight end next year, versatile guy who can catch passes and make plays with the ball in his hands, re-sign Jeff Swaim for less than you paid him last year, which was like $3 million guaranteed, which is freaking crazy. <clears throat> make him be your primary tight end too, blocking tight end, and then go draft a guy again in this class, which, correct me if I'm wrong, this is a pretty loaded tight end class. You should be able to find pretty good value in like the third round and beyond 
for a guy that could come in and be, you know, a good playmaker for your team. Is that right? It is a loaded tight end class. And I'm glad you said that because number one, uh, we've kind of alluded to it, but Chigo is the only tight end under contract right now for 2023. So they have to add, but even if they re-sign Jeff Swaim, they're going to need a third body, right? If maybe look, if they're right. comfortable enough with those two, maybe it's a super late round pick or a UDFA or a, a low cost, another low cost veteran, but they're, they're going to bring in guys. And this is a really good tight end class. I don't know that you're uh, utilizing high end capital um, on, at tight end when you have holes elsewhere, right? I don't think you're drafting a Luke Musgrave or a Michael Mayer or even a, a Dalton Kincaid. I'd probably add Tucker Craft um, to that list. But I do think once you get into the later round, even, you know, I still think round three is probably a bit too early, but I'll invoke some of those names there, like a a, a, a Durham Payne, who I thought was really good at the Senior Bowl, and also um, uh, uh, Sam Laporta from Iowa who, by the way, I think is a, a really good fit for what they do offensively. Just an unbelievably good blocker um, that I think uh, has room to grow as a pass catcher. So I, I look at a Sam Laporta, that's a guy that I think strikes me as a Tennessee Titan, and if they can get him long enough, they, they might consider that. Luke Schoonmaker out of Michigan is another guy that comes to mind. Payne Durham, who I already mentioned out of Purdue, had a really, really good senior bowl. Our buddy Zach Lyons will tell you was in love with this performance there in Mobile. Um, but they're going to need to add a tight end at some point, but I don't think it'll be through re-signing Austin Hooper. All right, mark it down. Mark, write this episode number down, Justin, because on draft night, when the <laughs> Titans pick one of those guys, I'm going to need to come back to this, cut a clip for it for social media. So <clears throat> remember, episode, what is this, 154, I think? Um, 154, look at us. I know, isn't that crazy? Episode 154, we'll remember we mentioned a few tight ends and that the Titans could potentially draft one of those guys. Okay, I think it's time to move on to our beef of the week. We've covered these uh, pending free agents. We've covered the Justin Outen news. We've got a little bit more to hit after our beef of the week. But first, beef of the week presented by the Pharmacy Burger Parlor and Beer Garden, the best burgers in Nashville. Check them out. Tell them the Music City Audible sent you. I'll start off again this week, Justin, and here's what I've got. My beef of the week is with Titans fans who are pissed off at the Titans for not hiring Eric Bieniemy. Look, the Titans were never going to hire Eric Bieniemy. It wasn't going to happen, and I'll tell you why. Eric Bieniemy didn't just get an offensive coordinator job. And my beef of the week is also with people out there saying, like, why would Eric Bieniemy take a lateral move? He should be in a position to become a head coach at this point. And I agree that he's done enough as a coach that he should have been given more opportunities, especially in the last couple hiring cycles. To become a head coach, he only had one head coaching interview this year. I think, you know, for whatever reason, he's been passed over and it's and it's messed up. It is what it is. Was Eric Bieniemy passed over because of his race or because he's not a great interviewer or because of some things in his past? Regardless, Eric Bieniemy wants to be a head coach. He doesn't want to make the lateral move. So going to Washington is not a lateral move. He is the assistant head coach with, along with Ron Rivera in Washington. He is the offensive coordinator and he has a chance to build his entire offensive staff himself handpicked the guys this is a lot different than being Andy Reid's offensive coordinator right so this is a huge step for Bienemy. the Titans were never going to offer him anything like that Mike Vrabel wasn't going to make him assistant head coach Mike Vrabel wasn't going to give him full control over the offensive staff that's just not how Mike Vrabel runs the Titans organization right so Bienemy was never coming to Tennessee if this is what he wanted clearly it's what he wanted so Titans fans you just got to take a breath we didn't have the situation to give Bienemy what he wanted we had to settle for Tim Kelly. And for anyone who's like, oh, what about Thomas Brown? Thomas Brown, if you don't know who he is, up and coming, you know, bright mind, highly thought of around the league. He was, he's been the Rams. 
what offensive coordinator and uh, or sorry, he's been the Rams assistant head coach and tight ends coach for the last few years. He's been assistant head coach of the Rams for the past two seasons. He's been there since 2020. Hired by the Panthers to be the offensive coordinator. A lot of Titans fans. Oh, Thomas Brown didn't even interview him, blah, 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 blah. Thomas Brown's going to be under Frank Reich. Frank Reich's calling plays. So he didn't even get a play calling position with the Panthers, right? So like, let's just settle down here. I know Tim Kelly wasn't the most exciting hire in the world, but the rest of the staff that has been built around him, plus what Tim Kelly was able to do in Houston with Deshaun Watson, I think, you know, fans are not giving enough credit. Everyone just wanted a change from last year because it was so frustrating to watch the offense. I think this offensive staff has been really well assembled. I think we got to cool it on the, why didn't you interview this guy? Why didn't you hire this guy? It's like, it's not that simple. It's not Madden. You don't just pick the guy you want and put him on the, the roster or the staff. It doesn't work that way. Titans fans, my beef of the week is with you. I feel called out on that because I uh, talked about the Eric Bieniemy thing and why it didn't happen. So, But I'm going to agree with you. So my beef of the week is with myself because I, I do agree. And the, the more the more I get to think about this situation, the, the, okay, the elements we did not know at the time, right, was two things you mentioned. He got the assistant head coach title, and he's getting uh, control over offensive staff. I mean, that's huge. Like, when does that happen, right? right? Like, when does a head coach say, hey, you can hire your own guys on the – so rare, right? Like, you might get one or two, right? But, like, so he's getting the majority of the staff. And, and, and thirdly, I, I also think I didn't take into account the potential here um, that he could become the commander's head coach at some point. I think he knew what he was doing, taking this job. I think, you know, a couple things. Ron Rivera uh, is certainly entering 2023 on the hot seat, right? They haven't won enough in Washington. Um, if, if Hell, if they get off to a bad start, he could be one of those guys that's fired midseason, right? In all honesty, like like Matt Rule was and, and Nathaniel Hackett was. And and, and potentially, I, I don't think you're looking at, I think Jack Del Rio is still DC there. I don't think you're making Jack Del Rio interim head coach, especially with some of the controversy he's been involved in in recent years. I don't think the commanders can afford that from a PR perspective, to be completely honest with everything else that's gone on there. Right. Um, it's a sad that I have to mention that, but it's true. That's how NFL franchises think. Um so I, I look at EB and I think he's well positioned to either be an interim head coach or to just straight up replace Rivera after the 2023 campaign. If A, things don't go well, or B, Rivera could could choose to walk away on his own accord, right? He had uh, some health issues, unfortunately, that he had to battle that I'm so glad he overcame. But it's probably a question on how long um, can I keep up this grind? Because he mentioned how difficult it was, right, to, to coach, um, uh, you know, throughout that whole battle with cancer. So uh, I think EB has positioned himself wisely and uh, to become a head coach he said it a few weeks ago i want to be a head coach what do i got to do he said i think he said right. it, it was at the parade or the comp press conference what do i got to do to be a head coach in this league so um it sort of shit wouldn't happen in tennessee with mike vrabel right so i think he did take the better job um for the long-term outlook of his career so beef of the week is with myself because i was one of the first ones that posed that question what happened with eb in tennessee probably was a quick conversation and he said hey i'm not interested yeah. And you know what? I think you're off the hook because we didn't know any of that last week when we spoke about it. And I, I was with you when you said, like, if Eric Bietemi does end up getting office coordinator job, like, what were the Titans doing? Why didn't they bring him in? We heard, heard the report that the Titans wanted to interview Bietemi. We don't know if they ever did. He, they probably didn't for all the reasons that you just said. Like, he wasn't making – and that's the thing that got lost on Twitter and everything. He wasn't going to make the lateral move, offensive coordinator to offensive coordinator. And he didn't make the lateral move. And I'm happy for him. He's going to have a real shot to become a head coach now in Washington. And hopefully he can have success with Sam Howell at quarterback or whoever they decide to be, to go with, right? Um, all right. 
That is our beef of the week presented by the Pharmacy Burger Parlor and Beer Garden. We are now going to move on to Justin's seven-round mock draft. This just published. That's why we're talking about it. This just published on the draftnetwork.com. A Titans seven-round mock draft conducted by Justin Mello here, our own draft expert. We're going to go through it a little bit. We don't need to spend too much time on each of these selections. I think what we should focus on is you know some of the value and the positions that you're looking at and why you chose some of the guys you chose. So we'll start off with who you took in round one, number 11 overall. No trades in this draft, for if anyone's wondering. Um, no mock trades. First pick of the draft here, you went with Paris Johnson Jr., offensive tackle, Ohio State. We've heard a lot about Paris Johnson in Titans land. He's been connected with a, you know, mocked to the Titans quite a bit thus far in early mock draft season. Why'd you go with Paris Johnson, and what do you think about this pick? Yeah, no-brainer. I'll keep it short, as you said. Titans are going to need a new starting left tackle uh, You know, after they release Taylor Lewan, It's their biggest need entering the offseason. They've been strongly connected to Paris Johnson throughout this process. Because, look, it's, 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 it's easy, but it's true. It's very easy to say, Titans, they need a left tackle. This is the best one, I think, in the 2023 NFL draft. Of course, all the connections with the Buckeyes, with Mike Rabel and Nicholas Petit-Friere. But outside of that, it, I don't care if he played at you know, Michigan, uh, right, for example, where Luan played. He's the best tackle in the 2023 draft. If he's on the board, I think it's probably a no-brainer for the Titans. Nice. And with the second pick in the draft, round two, number 42 overall, you went with another huge position of need here. Were you looking in this mock draft to attack needs? Were you looking to attack value? Or were you trying to find a best combination of both? Because you drafted wide receiver Josh Downs out of North Carolina. Yeah, I think a combination of both, right? Need and and best player available. I'll admit this was the most biased pick I made. Um, I absolutely love Josh Downs. Very biased pick. But you know what? It's my mock draft. I can be as biased as I want to. I did the damn mock draft, (laughs) so I took Josh Downs, okay? I love him coming out of North Carolina. One of my favorite players in this class, so dynamic, so crafty, elite playmaker. And for it, you know, he does have some size deficiencies. He's an unbelievable contested catch winner for a receiver that's like 5'10". I've almost never seen anything like it. I think we mentioned it in the Draft Network scouting report. You can go check it out. Um, he like he came down with like 72% of his contested catch opportunities or something absolutely ridiculous. I love watching him on film. I've been bumping him up my big board every time I release a new one because I just can't deny how much I love him. He might be a slot-only guy, which could create some issues for people, but I'm absolutely in love with Josh Downs. He's an elite playmaker. I would love to see him in Tennessee next season. Nice. Well, good pick in the second round there. So we'll move on to round three, number 73 overall. You took Emmanuel Forbes, cornerback, Mississippi State. Quarterback, you know, I think after the wide receiver offensive tackle needs, it gets a little muddier. You could argue some different positions of what the biggest need is. But I think cornerback is right up there, especially with what we saw health-wise from Caleb Farley, performance-wise from Caleb Farley, health-wise from Christian Fulton. It's one of those positions you can never have enough guys. Roger McCreary, Played a lot as a rookie, had some good moments, had some bad. You don't really know what to expect there from him this next season. So I definitely think the Titans could use another cornerback. Is that sort of where your mind was? Yeah, I think for they gave up the most passing yards in the league this past year. And, I, and I, I'll <laughs> add a grain of salt to that. I don't think it was as bad as those numbers indicate. They were so good at stopping the run. A lot of teams were like, we're going to pass the ball on you. We don't have another choice. Um, but they do need a guy, right? It's underrated need. I think I've talked about uh, this offseason. Christian Fulton entering a contract year. Another soft tissue injury uh, repeater, uh, rep- right? repeat offender, as Mike Vrabel called him out for. Uh, Caleb Farley looking like a bust. 
Roger McCreary, good and bad, can play outside and the nickel. I didn't mention Elijah Molden in the write-up, but he's another guy you don't really know about after he didn't really play. I consider he didn't play at all in 2022, in my opinion, even though he played very, very little. Um, they need a guy, Emmanuel Forbes, uh, press man corner, very physical. Titans like to play man coverage. I think he can do that for them. FBS record for pick six touchdowns. It's crazy. You want to talk about a playmaker on the ball? Emmanuel Forbes is that guy. I'm a really big fan of him. I do think cornerback could be a position they target in round three, and I, I, that's the direction I decided to go in. I like the pick. I know there's some people that are going to complain, like, "Oh, you just drafted a cornerback in the high first in the second round last year, and in the first round the year before that, and in the second round the year before that." And it's like, yeah, it's kind of true. But you know what? Cornerback is a huge you position. You need them. You need lots of them because there's teams out there with three, four great receivers and good quarterbacks. Like you need a lot of good corners. So I'm with you on this pick. Let's move on. No fourth round pick for the Titans. Thank you, John Robinson. Traded it away for as part of the Julio Jones trade. So Titans still paying for that one. So we'll move on to round five, number 150 overall, where you selected Dylan Horton, edge out of TCU. As a Texas fan, I know the name Dylan Horton. Tell me why you picked him here in the fifth round. Yeah, I really like Dylan Horton. Again, one of my favorite players in this class. I'm probably going to be higher on him on my final big board than most people are from what I'm seeing. Guy played like 245 in 2021. Looked like he had some dynamic edge capabilities. They asked him to beef up to like, what was it, 280? I think I have it in the write-up, 290 this past year and reduce inside. Like he did that for the good of the team. They asked him to do that and he did it because that's what they needed from him. Really good football player. Gives you that front multiplicity. He's dropped weight significantly. I think he was at the senior bowl like 260 because he wants to go back to playing the edge. I'm a big fan of him. Um, I think getting him in round five, you're going to need a body at this position. Right? If you're releasing Bud Dupree, you got Taylor, uh, sorry, uh, Harold Landry that is coming back from a torn ACL. It's, I, I place edge in the same category as corner. It's an underrated need. As much as you'd love to focus all your attention on the offense and it's so bad, they could use that in all honesty. <laughs> um, I do think edge is a really underrated need heading into this offseason. I think Dylan Horton's really good value in the fifth round. Nice. A good pick there. And we'll move on. Two more picks in this mock draft. Round six, you know, you took an offensive lineman here and, you know, day three, it's hard to find really good players usually. A lot of times you're taking a, a shot in the dark at a special teams player or you find an interior offensive lineman who are generally you know, less highly regarded in terms of positional value. So that's what you did here. Mark Evans, the second interior lineman out of Arkansas Pine Bluff, really small school. And we discussed last week how Jim Wyatt they doesn't think Nate Davis is going to be back in the fold next season. We'll get to Nate Davis in our Should the Titans Resign series here uh, in the next couple episodes probably. But tell, talk me through your decision to draft Mark Evans here. Yeah, and, and to be completely honest with you, I wanted – this is only – of course, it's a mock draft. It's you know make-belief. It's one scenario I could see playing out. I wanted to attack interior offensive line a little earlier, and that's why I'm going to get to this point. But I didn't. Right? I decided to go with corner and edge there. Went with Mark Evans here. Lots of experience at Arkansas Pine Bluff, small school, but I think he's like a three- or four-year starter, if my memory serves me correctly. He's played tackle for them, but uh, doesn't have the arm length, I think, to hold up there on the edge um, at, at the next level. So everyone's projecting him to kick inside to guard. Day three developmental pick. I believe, by the way, he's at the HBCU Combine that's going on this week. So you may see something pop up on your timeline about him. I, I hope you do because I've heard really good things about him and the athlete um, that he potentially is. Good fit in the zone-based scheme. My, over, my takeaway from this draft, doing this exercise for the first time for me this year, 
the seven round lock, and I'll do many more of them that we'll probably discuss. Uh, you and I will probably do the dueling ones that we tend to do every year at some point. My my takeaway theme, in all honesty, is um, the Titans need more picks, man. Like having mm-hmm. one second rounder, one third rounder, no fourth rounder, and one fifth rounder. I didn't love doing this exercise. I had a hard time with it, in all honesty. And that made me think they got to trade back at some point. If you can trade back out of the second round, for example, move down a bit and pick up an additional third or fourth, that's what I think they're going to have to do on draft night because I really wanted to address this interior offensive line earlier. But and look, I look, I could have drafted him over Emmanuel Forbes or I could have drafted someone over Dylan Horton. Right, but then I would have gone to the fifth round. It would have been the same thing. I didn't love my options at corner. Wouldn't have loved my options at edge. So, uh, I think yeah. Titans need an extra pick. That's my takeaway from this exercise. It was a it was a notable takeaway because I didn't know that I'd come away feeling like that. But I'm glad I did this exercise because that was really what I learned. I'm like, they're going to need another third, fourth, or fifth round pick, but preferably, of course, a third or fourth. Yeah, that's that's. You know what happens when you trade away picks? And, you know, there's another way. You don't just have to trade back in the draft. There's another way to acquire draft picks that we're going to talk about here as soon as we finish up this mock. But let's finish it with your last pick, round seven, number 231 overall. A.T. Perry, wide receiver out of Wake Forest, doubling down at the receiver position, reminiscent of when the Titans drafted Des Fitzpatrick and Racy McMath in the same draft, hopefully with a little more success. Or Traylon Burks and Kyle Phillips, right, last year. But That's a good uh, point. I, I do, A.T. Perry, massive, massive receiver, boundary guy for sure. I think 6'3", 200 pounds, um, ex-receiver tendencies, as I mentioned in the article, mismatch in the red zone. I like some of what he does. Uh, uh, shout out to Teron Davenport, our buddy over at ESPN covering the Titans. He posted some clips of A.T. Perry on Twitter, I think, a few weeks ago. I had a lot of the same takeaways. I think if you can get him as late as you do here, um, it's a great value pick. I do have questions on his ability to separate. That's always a question with those bigger-bodied boundary receivers, but I do like what he gives you from a vertical passing game perspective and as a mismatch in the red zone. Nice. And if you guys want to check out all the write-ups there on Justin's mock draft yes, and, and see why he picked. Yeah, there's a lot more explanation there. Head over to Justin's Twitter. He just tweeted it out. So you might have to scroll back just a little bit, depending on when you listen to this episode. But at uh, Justin M underscore NFL on Twitter, that seven round mock draft is out and available for discussion. All right, let's talk now. This to me, this is the most interesting conversation we've had on this podcast in, I don't know, a little bit of time, in my opinion. What is Ryan Tannehill's trade value? And we're going to determine what this value is by looking at history because history informs the future, right? So, Justin, before we turn it over to before I turn it over to you for your thoughts here, I'm just going to run through some recent trades, some quarterback trades. All right. There's those guys out there, you know, Baker Mayfield was traded for a conditional fourth. It could be a fifth or fourth rounder. Jared Stidham was traded for a 2023 seventh round pick, basically free, right? So we're not looking at necessarily those quarterback trades because there have been a lot of them over the last couple of years. We're looking at some bigger names here. Matt Ryan, a lot of people thought this was a little bit of a steal for the Colts. They traded only a third round pick for Matt Ryan. Now, Matt Ryan, at his age, he wasn't even able to make it through the season healthy or performance-wise. He was benched and then he got injured, right? Or maybe it was the other way around. But regardless, Matt Ryan for a third-round pick. I think Tannehill at his this stage of his career is worth more than that. There was also some thought that the Falcons gave the Colts a discount because they wanted to do right by Matt Ryan to let him sort of pick his last stop in the NFL. All right, so let's look at some really big trades that went down. Deshaun Watson, legal issues aside, was traded for three first-round picks, a third-round pick, 
and two fourth round picks. And the, the Browns also sent back a sixth round pick. So sort of like a fourth for sixth swap there, but still three firsts, a third and two fourths. That's a huge haul for a quarterback with so many off the field issues. And then they of course signed him to a massively guaranteed, fully guaranteed contract. Tannehill ain't Deshaun Watson uh, on the field is what we're talking um, or off the field for that matter. But um <laughs> I don't think you'd put him in the same quarterback tier, at least from what we saw in Watson's career before the trade. Now, last season, Deshaun Watson was freaking terrible when he did finally get out there. So maybe this is going to blow up in the Browns' face, and you kind of hope it does because of the person that Watson is off the field. All right, another huge trade that went down. Obviously, this was last offseason. Russell Wilson was traded for two first-round picks, two second-round picks, and they uh, a fifth-round pick was thrown in, but they got a fourth-round pick back there, so a fourth-fifth swap still two firsts two seconds for a guy who you know super bowl winning quarterback never got an mvp vote which was a famous thing but the less let russ cook obviously this was a complete disaster in denver in nathaniel hackett's offense see if sean payton can resurrect russell wilson after what happened last season but a huge haul for a guy who had admittedly accomplished a lot more than ryan Tannehill. but as you know the one of the guys on the podcast i produce for the for the nfl Greg Rosenthal and around the NFL, I went back because I was doing, I'm doing a big project. Greg loves Geno Smith. So I'm going through all the, like, every time they talked about Geno Smith. And one of the big moments, obviously, was when Russell Wilson was traded. Greg was saying at the time of the trade, Wilson hasn't been that good the last couple seasons. I think if you look at the couple seasons before Wilson was traded compared to the last couple seasons Ryan Tannehill has had, they're kind of similar. I mean, Tannehill has been struggling since 2019, 2020. So, if you look at 2019, that's better than what Russell Wilson was the last couple of seasons. Now that said, Wilson has accomplished a lot more in his career than Tannehill has in the playoffs and the Super Bowl, uh, obviously. So two ones, two twos. I don't think you're getting that much for Tannehill. I'm almost done, I promise. Matt Stafford went for two firsts, a third, and Jared Goff, who was a first, uh, a number one overall pick at one point in time and has been the Lions' starting quarterback for the last two seasons and actually played pretty dang well for them last year. So Matt Stafford, who had minimal playoff, had he ever won a playoff game? He had some crazy stat like he'd never won. I think he'd only won one or he never won a playoff game. Whatever. Not a ton of playoff success. Huge numbers in the regular season. Um, but, you know, around the same age as Ryan Tannehill, went for two firsts and a third. And then you look at some guys who have not accomplished as much, who still went for pretty big hauls. Like Sam Darnold was traded for a second, a fourth, and a sixth. They got three picks for Sam Darnold when he was traded from the Jets to the Panthers after failing to become a franchise quarterback in New York. The Panthers said, we'll give you a second, a fourth, and a sixth for him. Sometimes it's not about necessarily how good the quarterback is. It's about what the market is like. And that's what I'm going to get to in a second. And then the last guy we're going to look at here is Carson Wentz, who was traded twice. Um, the first time he was traded, he went for a first and a third. Now, his value back then may have been a little higher than what Ryan Tannehill's was now, is at now. He was, you know, only a couple years removed from that MVP season, quote unquote, that ended with the injury and the Super Bowl win for the Eagles that he didn't partake in at all. Um, and then the second time he was traded, it was for a second and a third round pick in last year's draft and then a conditional second or third round pick um, in next year, in this coming year's draft. Uh, a third round pick that could become a second if he played enough snaps. And they also sent back a 2022 second. So it was really like they received a third round pick and that conditional 2023 pick because they 
swapped seconds in 2022. So not that not that much value there the second time he got traded. And then, of course, we can look at when Ryan Tannehill himself was traded um, for a 2024th and a 2019 seventh. And the Titans sent back a 2019 sixth. Or sorry, the, the Dolphins sent back a 2019 sixth. So they swapped 2019 sixth and seventh round picks, basically was traded for a fourth round pick the following year. He's obviously improved his value tremendously since then. But Justin, hearing the history of all these quarterbacks being traded, some of them for massive hauls, some guys who are not that good for fairly big hauls, where do you think, what do you think the Titans could potentially get for Ryan Tannehill? Well, I'm glad you brought up all those examples. It's all very good and we can (laughs) learn from all of it. Um, The one that strikes me as the likeliest package the Titans could get back is one of the more recent ones. It's when the Colts traded Carson Wentz up to the Washington Commanders. As you said, it was Wentz and a 2022 second, right? They, they, They paired it with a seventh also for a 2022 second, a 2022 third, and the conditional third. Uh, that could become a second you mentioned about. I think that's the li- a similar package. When I think of Ryan Tannehill, I would like to think that his value right now is a bit higher than what Carson Wentz was at that time. So I think the Titans could get back a second round pick, a third round pick, and potentially another third or fourth round pick in exchange for Ryan Tannehill. And I would like to think they could get such a haul without having to include a second or third round pick of their own to sweeten the pot. I, I really do think Titans can get at least two day two picks for Ryan Tannehill and potentially a third um, day two pick or an early day three, like a fourth rounder. And maybe in that case, you include a sixth or a seventh of your own. But um, I, I think that's the value that makes the most sense to me. I don't think they're getting a, they're not a Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson type package. I'm glad you mentioned the first package Wentz went for. I think the shine hadn't really worn off Wentz yet. You talked about that MVP season that he had. Um, whereas I think Ryan Tannehill, if we're being honest, we're looking at this from a league-wide perspective. I think the shine probably has worn off a little bit, much like it, it did off Wentz after the year he had with the Colts, but still managed to get back all those mid-round picks. So that's where I'm at with Ryan Tannehill. And I think that's good value in all honesty. You get, I I talked about earlier, the lack of picks they have in this draft and needing more day two draft capital. If you're getting two or three day two picks for Ryan Tannehill, uh, I do think that's a big win for for where this roster is right now and how much they need to build it back up. Um, I, I like that package for Ryan Tannehill in all honesty. Yeah, the only problem, obviously, is that you then need a quarterback. But I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because you look ahead and like this is, you know, like you said, you used the term galaxy braining earlier. I think this is a bit of galaxy braining your your roster and everything doesn't always work out as perfectly as you planned. But if you look ahead to 2024, you got two quarterbacks coming out that could be really, really good. And I think, you know, personally, just from watching college football, I think Caleb Williams is going to be the next star quarterback in the NFL. I think he's the surefire number one pick the year after this draft. And, um, you know, we've seen guys like that before who have gone back for one more season when they've been highly, you know, thought of and then kind of had a crash and burn final year of college. I don't think that's going to happen with Caleb Williams. You know, he's been with Lincoln Riley now every year that he's been in, in, in playing college football. He was amazing coming in for relief duties for Spencer Rattler at Oklahoma. He was amazing enough to win the Heisman Trophy at USC last year. I think he's only going to get better, honestly. So if you do end up quarterbackless for 2023 and you get these extra picks to kind of build around, you build up your roster around your 
future next quarterback, and then you end up in a position to draft somebody in 2024, that's not the worst way to build your team. Now, I don't think Mike Vrabel and Rand Carthon and Miss Amy or anyone's going to allow them to quote unquote tank, at least not intentionally. But if you don't have a quarterback or you're rolling out Malik Willis every week or Josh Dobbs even in the 2023 season, you're not going to have a very good record. And I think that that could position the Titans for future success. I will say, I think you could get a little more for Ryan Tannehill than just a second and a third. I think you could get a first plus. Now, not a lot plus, but like a first and a fourth or even a first and a conditional fourth that could become a third type of deal. And the reason is because of the value and the scarcity right now. Looking around the league, right? We know almost for certain that the Saints, the Jets, the Bucks, the Panthers, maybe the Falcons, maybe the Raiders, maybe the Commanders are all looking to add a quarterback, probably a veteran quarterback this offseason. That doesn't include the Texans and the Colts, who are almost certainly going to draft a quarterback. So take them out of the mix for a veteran quarterback. And, and the, the Titans are trading been, Tannehill, right, to the Texans for, right? Or Colts, of right? course, yeah. The Titans wouldn't be trading Tannehill in, in the division, right? Um, so you got the Saints who, are, who have been strongly linked to Derek Carr. He's still visiting with other teams as well. But let's just say for hypothetical purposes, Carr goes to the Saints. Who else is available on the veteran quarterback market this offseason? Aaron Rodgers, potentially. I've heard differently. I've heard that this is all a charade and Rodgers just likes the attention and that he's not going anywhere. So we'll see how that shakes out. I could have bad information, but in this hypothetical, we're going with Rodgers returns again to the Packers. Jimmy Garoppolo. Let's say Josh McDaniels wants to reunite with the former Patriots quarterback. We get Garoppolo to the Raiders. Lamar Jackson is a name that's out there. Most likely will end up re-signing with the Ravens. They'd be crazy to let a franchise quarterback, former MVP go. But let's say he does go somewhere. Maybe he ends up with the Falcons or something like that. The Jets have put it out there that they want a quarterback, a veteran quarterback this offseason. Robert Sala has said it. Woody Johnson, the owner, has said he wants to make a big move. It's been a while since he made a big move. He was the owner of the Jets. He left. He's the controlling owner again. He hasn't done anything crazy since he came back to being the controlling owner of the Jets, right? And the Jets have already been linked out there to Ryan Tannehill in some, you know, rumors and report, not necessarily like actual linkage, but the idea has been floated already. Could the Jets trade for Tannehill, especially after hiring Todd Downing, Keith Carter? You got Corey Davis there, somebody that Tannehill's familiar with, assuming he's not going to be a cap casualty, which he could be this this offseason. But never mind that aside. If the Jets find themselves in a position where they really want to acquire a veteran quarterback and Carr's off the table, and Garoppolo's off the table, and Rodgers is off the table, and Lamar Jackson's off the table, and Tannehill's the only guy left. I'm just saying, I don't know if Tannehill's necessarily worth a first-round pick and a fourth or whatever, but I think you could potentially find yourself in a situation where the Jets are willing to pay that because they're out of options, and the only other option is to run again with Zach Wilson and Mike White and hope that these guys don't crash and burn your season. And if they do, Robert Sala, you're fired. So that's why I think this could actually be, you know, this could work out in the Titans' favor if uh, if things shake out a certain way. So I think you could get kind of a lot for Tannehill. And if they can, if you can get a first plus, you should do it. And then see, you know, how, whether that first is in this year's draft or if it happens after the draft and it's in next year's draft, and then you have ammunition to move up potentially in 2024 to get one of those big quarterbacks. I think the Titans should do it. Will and, they? And you, That's the question. 
And you mentioned Caleb Williams, but don't forget, like I, Drake May is an unbelievable quarterback prospect as well. And I'm intrigued by uh, Michael Penix, and also uh, you're a Hookem guy. I think Quinn Ewers still has a chance um, yeah. to elevate himself right into that top ten, top twenty conversation at least. Uh, we'll see what he does this year. But uh, I, I do dis- I get what you're saying uh, in terms of like a leverage and last option sort of thing, but. I, I just can't see the Titans getting a first-round pick for him. I, I really can't. Um, and some of these teams, by the way, like we talked about veteran quarterbacks and openings, some of these teams are going to settle, and I mean that. They're going to settle for like Sam Darnold or Baker Mayfield. I would put a lot of money that Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield are both starting quarterbacks week one, 2023 NFL season. And Mitch Trubisky is going to get released from Pittsburgh, and Marcus Mariota is going to be available. Like Some of these teams are going to settle. But I, I still think, and I understand it creates a hole at quarterback. There's no denying that. But I think if they can get multiple day two picks for Ryan Tannehill, um, with the state of this roster and what the AFC is looking like, how far away you are from competing with the Kansas City Chiefs, the Cincinnati Bengals, the Buffalo Bills, uh, even the Chargers, if they can get their shit together. <laughs> uh, I am of the belief that if you can get multiple day two picks for Ryan Tannehill, that you'd have to think long and hard about that. Yeah, I agree. Now, I don't think the Titans will trade Ryan Tannehill. I want to put that out there, too. I think that they are going to run it back with Tannehill next season. Maybe they surprise all of us and go a different direction, but I just think that the unknown is too much of a mystery right now for this roster where it's at, and that Mike Vrabel wants to be competitive, and that's why we'll see what happens, I guess, but I really think Tannehill will be back as a starter in 2023 for the Titans, but... Hey, anything's possible. We'll see what can happen. I do think that we're pretty much nailing his trade value. It's somewhere between my estimation and your estimation. It's not worse, for sure. And um, if situational context, you know, falls into place exactly right, it could be higher, but unlikely. So anyway, I think that that does it. We're over an hour, Justin, on this episode of the Music City Audible. And it'll be a really long episode. I honestly thought about holding this Tannehill topic for next week, but we love our listeners too much. We were not going to do that to them. We'll be back next week with some more really good content. I'm sure we'll continue our re-sign series. Some good candidates that we haven't talked about. Uh, Nate Davis, as you mentioned, Josh Dobbs, Dennis Daly. I think it's an obvious one. They probably have to re-sign. So we're going to get into some more of these names um, as this series continues rolling on. Yes, we will. And so we will be back next week. Thanks to everyone for listening and for listening this long in the off season. We really appreciate you. As I mentioned before, follow Justin on Twitter at Justin M underscore NFL. Find a seven round mock draft. If you want to read more about the analysis there, you can follow me at Titans Film Room and make sure you're checking out BroadwaySportsMedia.com where you can become a Broadway insider. Also, thanks to the Pharmacy, Burger Parlor and Beer Garden. We will be back next week, as you mentioned. Until then... You all stay safe out there and tighten up. A Broadway Sports Media Production.